This episode brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're driving, cleaning, and even exercising. But what if you could be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. And auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Multitask right now. Quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I want to talk to you guys about Matchstick Golf. Matchstick is a custom designer of ball markers based in Portland, Oregon, that was born out of its founder getting sick and tired of trying to find cool ball markers that weren't those huge, heavy poker chips and didn't cost 300 bucks on eBay. Matchstick's markers include the one-eye alligator from Happy Gilmore, you know, the one that ate Chubb's hand, and a stack of cash that will have you putting for dough and birdies. Right now, they're offering 15% off your first order at matchstickgolf.com with the code TURN15. That's TURN15 at matchstickgolf.com. Set fire to the greens. This is At The Turn. It's time for discussion and interviews about the world of golf you won't hear anywhere else. Here are your hosts, Nick Heidelberger and Joe Simons. One of the top long drivers in the world. What's the best season for golf? And another Brooks Bryson update from their ongoing saga. Hi, welcome into another episode of At The Turn. Nick, how are you today? I'm doing great, Joe. Um, I know we are not recapping the Solheim Cup today. It's not even over. But I'm just going to throw out there, I have been really, really enjoying the first two days of the Solheim Cup action. And hopefully on an upcoming pod, we can really dive into that. Yeah, it was. it's, it's been a lot of fun so far. Uh, because of our schedules, we have to record it. During the singles matches, unfortunately, but it has been a lot of fun. Nick, before we get into our topics, I do want to remind the folks, speaking of USA versus Europe competitions, we still have our golf ball giveaway going on right now. All you have to do, predict the top individual points earner on Apple Podcasts, where you leave your review. So you go in to at the turn. You're there right now, probably. Rate the episode five stars. Review the episode by leaving your individual Ryder Cup points earner who you think is going to get the most. Do you think it's going to be Ian Poulter? Do you think it's going to be Dustin Johnson? Leave I think it. it's going to be Phil Mickelson. You think it's going to be Phil Mickelson? That's well, it's going to be tough. As 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 do we get odds on this? Like if, if 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 I if I pick Phil and uh, do I do I get like fifteen to one odds? If you pick Phil, I'll, I'll give you just everything in my garage, even stuff you don't want. Old weed whackers, the lawnmower, which is in decent shape. Mm. You get everything. Mm. But folks, get in there. If you're correct, if you're the first at the turn listener to predict the top Ryder Cup points earner, you win three boxes of Vice Pro Plus golf balls. They're fantastic, Nick. Best golf balls in the market. They are. And uh, a quick congratulations to Mr. Road Soda, who won 50% of this prize for correctly predicting the last name of the women's 
Olympic Olympic gold medalist. He picked Corda to win. In fact, a Corda did win. We divided the last name by the number of Cordas in the field. There were two. We gave him half the prize. Uh, I, I think still a congratulations goes out to to Mr. Road Soda. Ro- Road Soda. Yeah. Congrats, Road Soda. Proving that this is this is in fact a real giveaway. We've been accused on some of the social medias of this not being real. I'm not sure why, but it is real. So dive in. It's super real. This couldn't be more real. Rate, rate, and review at the Terran Apple Podcast. Leave the name of the individual Ryder Cup top points earner. Okay, Nick. Fall is nearly here. You may be listening to this during fall. It's the end of summer. And I threw out to the at the turn patrons, what do you prefer? Fall golf or spring golf? What's your poison? And it was pretty close. I mean, we're basically within the margin of error here. 54.7% say they prefer fall golf. 45.3% say they prefer spring golf. Now, I came up with some pros and cons of each season, but I'm curious. Just your initial thoughts on this. For me, it's spring golf. And I will I will put out the caveat that fall golf is better. But I prefer spring golf because it's 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 like Christmas. It's it's so exciting. Like what goes on inside of you when you're going to the course though that first week of the spring golf season is so much more exciting than than when it's October and you've been playing for you know the whole season. Like just the fact that you're out there playing golf again, you've been anticipating it for for months. And finally, you get a day that's like highs in the high 40s, you know, not too much rain. And the course is finally open. And it doesn't really matter what else happens. Just the fact that you're out there playing golf. You've got the whole season ahead of you. It's full of optimism. It's full of joy. Uh, It's just such a great vibe that all the other negatives, and there are plenty, really kind of are insignificant. Well, I'm going to go with fall golf. but first. You know, to kind of piggyback off what you're saying for spring, you really are unencumbered by expectations in the spring. You're just out there. You're you're cheating the weather at this point, man. Like, you know, I know you're in the Northeast now, but you lived in the Pacific Northwest most of your life, too. And to just get like one of those stray, like early March, like maybe it's like 64 out and you're like, oh, my God, what's happening? We got to get to the golf course and you don't care if your ball plugs in the fairway because it's been raining for the last five months or whatever the course conditions are. Probably pretty bad, but man, you were just out there. You were just out there playing golf, and that it's a great feeling. Yeah, I think that trumps everything else. Really? See, I prefer fall golf. Now, let me start with the biggest con of fall golf. <sighs> those leaves, baby. Mm. Those those leaves. It is tough, man, and especially when you get to, like, late October, you know, early November, when you're really getting towards the end of the season, the sun is just low all day, and it's like, you know, maybe like 945, you're on the first hole, you hook one a little bit left, and you can't find your ball, you're looking for, like, two minutes, the group on the tee is, like, getting antsy, and you're like, the Cowboys are playing in five minutes. Why am I even out here right now? What am I doing? I woke up. I'm paying too much money. I don't want to be here. The ground is wet. It's like 55. I could yeah, be I, drinking I beer on my what, couch. I forgot what 50 degrees feels like. <laughs> yeah, this is just I shocking completely don't know how to dress for 50 degree weather anymore. Yeah, because two weeks ago it was 90 in Portland. <laughs> and now it's 50 degrees. I've got a sweater, yet somehow I'm sweating. It's like it's very uncomfortable. 
All that being said, that is the worst part of fall golf. The good part of fall golf. I'm going to take you back like a month before, earlier. Before than you that. do that, before yeah. you even do that, I remember a fall golf round I had a couple years ago, and it was exactly like you drew it. Like, like you just said, it was it was a, a nice day when you knew that those days were numbered. I got out there, uh, and I had pretty much the course to myself. And there was like three holes in a row where I didn't hit a bad shot and also didn't find a single ball. Like I went through two sleeves of balls because they were just in the leaves. And I like tracked yeah. it. I know exactly where it went. Like not in the middle of the fairway, but certainly any other day of the year, like easily findable. You know, like I, I saw exactly where it went. Not a bad shot. And just I, I was just there's nothing worse than looking for golf balls except for looking for golf balls that you you hit well and should easily be able to find. So here's the thing. In the fall, you're looking for your ball on the leaves. In the spring, you're looking for your ball in the fairway because mm-hmm. I I have a hit uh, I have a pretty high ball flight and even if you don't, like that thing's going to plug in the middle of the fairway a lot and you just know like, well, that I'm I'm, I'm going to sometimes you just see it land and you know <laughs> that it's basically sunk to the bottom of the earth and there's not a damn thing you can do about it. It's just gone forever. It's a miserable feeling. Yeah, that that does suck. So to take you back, we were in my, you know, early November, late October. I'm going to back you up like three, four weeks, late September, early October. Maybe you catch like a 77 degree day. It's like October 6th. You're out on the golf course. The sun is shining. Your handicap is almost where you want it to be for the season. And you get on that first tee. It's like 10 a.m. It's beautiful outside. There's a little bit of dew, but not enough to mess with your ball. You think to yourself, oh, this is my shot. I can do it. If I have a great round to kind of close my season out mentally, I'm going to go flying high into the fall and the winter. I can justify that purchase of a new golf club. Nick, I've been looking at a hybrid. I need that fairway finder. Oh, God, I shot a 74. What am I doing out here? I'm thinking, think I'm going to you know, qualify for all these tournaments in 2022, next year's going to be the year. Mm-hmm. So you really can end your season playing well. And that's the thing too, right? You've been playing all summer. You have a lot of momentum going into the off season. That's why I prefer fall golf because I can have these delusions of grandeur where spring golf, I'm appreciative of being out there, but my game is in tatters. Like, you know, I'm sure yeah, you 94. got the whole season. You got the whole season ahead of you. And like, you can identify like, Oh, all I got to do is straighten out the driver and like this 94 is going to be a 74. And like, I don't know. I, and again, fall golf is better. Like if I had to have one on groundhog day and like, I just play in certain conditions every day of the year, it, it would be fall because it is better. The conditions are better. The ground isn't so soft, like plug as bad as losing six balls in a row in the leaves is losing six balls in a row. Three inches under the, the earth is, is even worse. And, like, here in the Northeast, we had the wettest July in history. Like, it just rained every single day. And so it was a constant reminder of, like, seeing your pitch mark in the fairway and your ball, like, two yards behind it. Like, like you're, you're spinning. Every ball is just plugging. And, like, even if it doesn't go underneath the ground, like, it's, it's bouncing back like a yard. And you're like, man, like, July, you're supposed to, like, get 20 yards a roll, baby. Like, I, I'm losing all this yardage. Like, the ball goes farther in the fall for sure. It, it, it is better. I, I will just say that. Like the sogginess of the spring does suck, but I'm, I'm a vibe guy in, in the spring golf vibes that, that tips the scales for me. I understand. And it's obvious why this poll was so close 
I think we both contradicted ourselves about four times during this discussion of spring golf and fall golf. Both are good. At the end of the day, it's golf. At the end of the day, it's golf. Both are good. I tend to enjoy fall golf more because I can convince myself that this is it. You know, I can have the final big round. And I and I and I like that feeling. But what I do enjoy is that within both of our arguments, either way, there's this element of denial that we have of like, oh, well, all I have to do is this. And that's really the golfer's mindset, right? It's it like, well, just this one thing needs to be tweaked, and then the next part will be better. If I can straighten out the driver, the rest of the season will be great. If I can shoot this good round, I can definitely buy this club worth $300 in December. I can justify that purchase. We're golfers, baby. Yeah. Nick, did you see what happened on Twitter with our account the other day? I guess it was a week ago now. No. So there's this cool golf course. It's a very oh, yeah. weird golf course this. just yeah, outside of this. Portland. Yeah. Wildwood Golf Course. Very fun course. They have this really, really cool wooden sign in the pro shop. And I always think, man, I want to get a picture of that thing. And I finally did. It's a stent meter. Measures how fast the greens are. You know what a stent meter is. They always yeah. talk about it at Augusta because it's always so high. I thought how fun it would be to post this on social media and ask what I thought was a very innocent question. You can see it. Fast or slow? How do you like your greens? And some people liked it, and we got some engagement. And then I found out that there's a section of golf Twitter that I didn't even know existed, Nick. It's called Turf Twitter. Did you know Turf Twitter existed? No. I mean, I, I've seen a lot of posts from um, superintendents and, and greenskeepers and people like kind of uniting around them. But I never knew it was its own. Like I never knew there was a, a name for it. I just thought it was people out there who, who have a passion for the course. They have a passion for the course and a passion for arguing over innocuous statements. So again, all it is picture of the stent meter, which I think is a cool old sign. And I said, fast or slow, how do you like your greens? Shout out to Anthony Piapi. Guarantee he's not listening to this podcast based on his response. Here we go. Quote, stop talking about speed. Ask people how smooth they like their greens or how consistent they like their greens. The average player has not idea what the actual numbers are and can't grasp that the faster greens, the more difficult and the longer the game becomes. End quote. So a few things there. Um, I like that. Well, I, I I agree with his overall sentiment that everyone, like, consistent greens are what you're after. Um, but I guess what I don't really understand is where he says, ask people how smooth they like their greens or how consistent they like their greens. What golfer wants inconsistent greens or bumpy greens? Zero golfers we, we should want those We should things. put that tweet out. How consistent do you like your greens? Inconsistent or very consistent? <laughs> it doesn't – I don't know what he's arguing against. I, I – I get his point where he's saying the faster the greens, the harder the game is, and the longer your round is going to take. That's absolutely fine. But I think some people probably pref prefer slow greens. Some people probably prefer fast greens. Going back to our spring golf conversation, I find that I play better on slower greens, especially early on in the season, because it allows me to be a little more inconsistent with my short game, right? Like I can hit a chip that's a below average chip and in the spring or excuse me, in the summer or fall, it would fly off the green, but in the spring, a little softer, a little dewier. It's going to hang on to the green. So I'm not really understanding why he is um, saying 
Like, you, I don't get why he's saying his question should be, ask how consistent the greens are, how smooth they like the greens. Also, the second sentence I find very insulting. The average player has no idea what the actual numbers are and can't grasp the fact that the faster the greens are, the more difficult and longer the game becomes. I, I agree with the first part of that because, like, if, if you told me, like, hey, Nick, what, how fast are the Hemlock Ridge greens on, on a stimp meter scale? I'd be like, I don't know, probably, like, nine and a half. I'd probably get within one and a half of, of what the actual number is, but I don't know. I don't go in and check the stimp on the greens. And a lot of courses that do have a stimp meter is almost like a middle finger to the members because the members always, they're notorious for complaining to the to the superintendent about like the stimp meter and greens and like members will bring their own stimp meter and tell the greenskeeper like how to do his job and so it's almost like a mockery of the members when they have something like that in there so i don't know specifically like the one the one thing he's right is the average player has no idea what the actual numbers are i agree with that but i think we can all understand that faster greens have the potential to lead to more three putts have the potential to lead to longer rounds i think I don't think that's tough to grasp for for the average player. Faster greens equals more difficult golf course. Like I, I think that's a pretty easy thing to understand. I just think this guy has um a problem with step meter being the way that we measure quality of greens, which that's not what it is. It's how fast the green is. And at the end of the day, Buddy, we're just we're just posting a picture of a cool old wooden sign. Like and, that's and, all it is. True. Have you ever played a course with really fast greens that were also like not smooth? Like don't smooth and fast kind of go together? Like I think about when I think about this question, I think about Palouse Ridge because it's not the fastest greens I've ever played, but it's it's right. Palouse Ridge is the the home course of Washington State University. It's right next door to the University of Idaho, where. I grew up playing I where I learned basically to play. And and their greens next to each other could not be more different. Idaho's yeah. are slower, they're 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 not as smooth. Plus Ridge is faster. And I remember first playing there with like you would be like, hey, the, the greens are gonna be fast, be careful. But they're smoother and they're truer. Like you hit a putt and it goes where you're trying to hit it, which I didn't find to be more difficult. I find it to be if if you have your speed dialed in a little bit, it's it's easier. Because your putts are more predictable. And also, if you have a 15-foot putt on faster greens, if you think of it just like a 10-foot putt and you hit it like a 10-foot putt, hey, a 10-foot putt's easier than a 15-foot putt, right? And if you know where it's going to go. So from that sense, if you have your speed dialed in, I think quicker greens that are smooth and predictable are easier. I think they're easier for putting. I think they're more difficult for your intermediate and short game. I I don't hit greens, so it, it doesn't matter to me doesn't make a difference i'm not worried about like spinning one back or holding the green with a, the seven iron i just i just chip up to, to eight feet and try to make the putt man yeah palouse palouse is a really good example because the the greens are faster but they are they're, they are consistent and, and i think your point's a good one faster greens usually means more consistent greens because faster greens are frankly on better golf courses like it's rare that you'll see a course with like below average fairways bunkers that aren't maintained and the greens are immaculate that that, that that's just not how it works Nicer course, nicer greens, faster greens. So at the end of the day, I get what this guy is coming from. I think he went about it in the most combative way possible. But we do appreciate the engagement. So thank hey, you, Anthony. It's, it's Twitter. If you're not combative, what are you doing? I think we should put some more. Um, what, what did you call them? Turf? Uh, 
Turf Twitter. Turf Twitter. We got to put some more Turf Twitter tweets out there. Yeah. You know what I'll do? <laughs> Actually, you know what? I put one out there the other day, and nobody even responded. I might have to repost it. What is it? I um, So at Hemlock Ridge, where I play, there's there's all these like ruts in in the rough around the green. So your ball can just roll into this like like a, like a hole you would find in your yard where there's just like no grass, but there's grass all the way around it. And so you can't get your club on it. And uh, it's I, I didn't hit my ball under there, but I hit a ball near there and I just dropped a ball into it to take a picture and show like what would you do in this situation? Would you just would you play it out of the hole? Would you roll it into the grass or would you find a new course? Um, which is, is what I should be doing right now. Um, and the reason I thought of it is because I was in league one time at, at Hemlock Ridge and my ball was in one of those things and I, and I hit it out of that. And it was obviously like a squirrely shot because it was in a hole. And my, my partner was like, oh, yeah, you can you can move it out of there. Like, you should not play from there. Yeah. He's no. like, just just roll your just roll your ball out of the thing. And I was like greenside, like just just beyond the fringe. And I'm like, are you are you kidding me? And no. so that's why I posed the question, like yeah. in a casual round of golf and you're just playing out by yourself. Like, would you would you play out of this absurd course condition or would you not? I don't have to go into it too much now, but my short answer is, yeah, you got to. You 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 got to play it out of there. My the courses in Portland those are those are so common because the trees are so old and so tall. There's just spots where the grass doesn't grow, and it's like yeah, you just gotta you just gotta hit out of there. Your your opponent's a lunatic. You can't just pull it out. You have a bad lie. You can't just pull it out. You gotta hit it out of there, man. <laughs> what is he doing? That's silly. Yeah, he was like appalled that I that I hit my shot out of there. Oh my gosh! Because I hit because I, I think I putt and it still went like three feet in the air because it just launched out of this run. Yeah. He's like. Oh, I thought you were putting, but I, but it popped out like a wedge. And I was like, yeah, I was in a hole, dude. <laughs> I saw a really good tip to get out of that, actually, um, on, on Instagram. You stand really close to the ball. You take your wedge, and you have a really steep angle. So instead of having the shaft you normally would, you raise it up higher and just hit like a very like quick descending blow. I tried it. It actually works. So hmm. think about that, Nick. Yeah, I'll have plenty of opportunity to, to give that a shot. <laughs> Folks, hit your approach shots closer to the hole so you don't even have to chip out of weird holes. Get Precision Pro range finders. Nick, they're spectacular. Save $10 at checkout. Turn 10 is the promo code that you use. Golf season's almost over. It, it's it's what? You have what, two months net left, Nick, out, out where you are? When, when, when do you stop posting out there? Uh, we stopped posting at the end of October. <sighs> but I pretty much stopped playing when... Um... Ashley starts her soccer season because unless Gavin's coming to the golf course with me, I'm uh, pretty strapped. <laughs> Last time Gavin was at the golf course with you, you were pouring birdies in. Yeah, actually, uh, maybe this is another subject for the pod, but mm. we, we brought him out to the course a couple times. And I'm always like, like, is it cool? Is it not cool? Is it certain times when it's cool? I don't know. We'll, we'll bring it up another time. I like that. Dogs and babies. What are your take on the golf course? Precision Pro Golf dot com promo code turn 10 at checkout save a lot of money well ten dollars it's some money off range finders <laughs> at checkout nick one more thing before we get to my conversation with scotty perriman uh long driver extraordinaire one of the favorites going into the world long drive championships bryson dechambeau brooks kepka they're at it again it came out this week that the pg tour has banned fans from yelling Brooksy at Bryson DeChambeau during events on the PGA Tour. This was a needle that fans were yelling at him, and now it has been outlawed. If I may, 
James Hahn had a really good tweet, PGA Tour player. He said, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing here, he said, if you can't yell Brooksy at Bryson, you can't yell Kevin Na, Siwoo Kim, Sungjae M at me, which are obviously other golfers who are either Asian or Asian American, saying you can't get that mixed up because that is more offensive to him, which, yes, of course it is. You're basically just saying because here's an Asian dude out here, you're confusing him with another professional Asian golfer, Asian American golfer. So, right. Good, and, and good for a, a lot of players had similar um, responses. And I think what I think is pathetic is the fact that the PGA Tour even has to do this because the difference between calling James Hahn, Kevin Na, it, and calling Bryson Brooksy is people are calling Bryson Brooksy. For the purpose of harassing him and, and for the purpose of, of, of rattling his cage. Nobody's calling James Hahn, Kevin Na to be a dick there. You know, if, if they're actually doing that, like cheering him on from the gallery that way, like they're, they're ignorant, but, but they're not, they're not like just being like a dick for the, for the purpose of being a dick. I think it's pathetic that there's so many people who just enjoy and like it's so stupid that this is harassment and I'm not trying to be over the top but like just go out there and get enjoyment from like heckling a, a player and like I don't know maybe it's too soft because it's golf and like other sports people get heckled and, and nobody's saying that Bryson's the only one that gets heckled but I, I think it's different we've even heard people who are paired with him during rounds saying like, this is, this is different than what we've experienced before. And, and partially because of the betting aspect, people, you can pick a one-on-one -on -one bet and people are betting against Bryson and just follow him around and, and try to get under his skin this way. But you wouldn't treat a person like this on the street, like in any setting, like you wouldn't go to the grocery store and like taunt a person for buying gluten-free pasta you, you know, like, so what if you're different and weird and, like, I don't agree with your taste? But the fact that there's this this rope here and that person's inside the ropes and you're outside the ropes, it's I, I think it's like the person who goes to the zoo and, like, rattles the cage or, like, brings a piece of bread by and, like, taunts the animals or taps on the glass. It's like, yeah, they're there for your enjoyment, but, like, you could still show a little bit of respect. I, I, I completely disagree with me, Joe. It's fine. No, it's not that I completely disagree with you. It's just I'm I'm sort of just tired of this story in general. It'll be interesting to see how it plays out at the Ryder Cup because Brooks and Bryson are obviously both in it. I'm just tired of this story. I think it's I think it's kind of boring. I think it's sort of played out. But in regards to It is played out. Don't you but that's why I think it's so pathetic that there's still people who who get enjoyment from this. Well, I think that and I know you weren't a, a big golf fan at the time, but the thing that comes to mind are, are, are two people tiger after his affair came out, people were brutal to him. I mean, tiger is universally revered now, but there was a period between like 2010 and 2012, 13, I want to say when he was still on tour and like relatively healthy, people were destroying him. Like they were screaming terrible stuff at him and then back that up to about eight years prior my feelings on Sergio are well documented on this podcast, but Sergio got brutalized when he was out there on tour, specifically the O2 US Open at Beth Page Black, where the golf world really played into this whole, 
okay, it's a public course. The New York crowd is different. Because uh, Sergio had this, I mean, he still has it a little bit, but he had this really bad tick where he would waggle and re-grip like literally like 20 to 25 times. Think about Giannis shooting free throws and how long that takes. Sergio waggling was very, very similar. And the crowd was all over him and said terrible stuff to him. So I think a couple things are happening. One, social media makes these things spread like wildfire. But I think it also makes the issue seem worse than it actually is. Like how many people do you think are actually yelling Brooksy at Bryson? Is it like every shot or is it because we capture it on social media and it's replayed a lot of times? We think in our mind it's happening a lot more than it actually is. And the PGA Tour is more apt to respond to a situation like this with someone who love him or hate him is going to bring a lot of attention and a lot of dollars to your tournament in Bryson DeChambeau, whereas Sergio Garcia, you know, despite his personality and how he is being well-documented and he's sort of viewed as a villain is way too strong of a word, but the antagonist to the tiger and fill popularity of the early part of this century where the PGA tour, I'm not saying is going to like endorse people being rude to Sergio, but they're not going to do anything to really dissuade people from being cruel to Sergio Garcia in the way that they were. So I think that something probably does not need to be done in this situation. I think Bryson does himself a disservice in responding to this stuff. I think if he just left it alone and ignored it, it would go away a lot more quickly. And also I think Brooks could do more to, you know, shut this kind of stuff down, but he doesn't want to. He he wants this to be part of the equation. I'm not sure why. I think it's kind of weird. Um, I don't think it's a matter of being like too soft. I'm just kind of over it. But I do think Bryson just needs to kind of deal with it, unfortunately. Yeah. So Bryson's playing in the world long drive. Yeah. So the Bryson day after the Ryder Cup, a day after the Ryder Cup, Bryson is going to compete. And, you know, this conversation that I have coming up with, uh, Scotty Perriman, who fascinating guy. You'll hear his take on Bryson DeChambeau um, coming up in that interview. He's going to compete. And some folks think Bryson can actually do some damage in this event, like actually compete, maybe not have the opportunity to win, but actually compete in this. And it's great for long drive. Is it great for the Ryder Cup? I don't know. I think it would actually be pretty funny because ostensibly the perspective on the American team is look at all these distractions. You know, everyone's mad at Bryson. Brooks has got this whole thing going on. I think it would be great if the U.S. team just housed Europe. Like, I don't necessarily think it's going to happen, but I think it would be funny because I think the through line is people assume oh, the U.S. team is distracted. They're not going to be able to get it done. And it's because of all this Bryson, Brooks, Patrick Reed kind of stuff. And, you know, they're not going to be able to figure it out. Like, maybe they will. Maybe these things aren't connected at all. Yeah, that's what I think. And I, I, I at first when I saw that it was the day after the Ryder Cup, I'm like, why would you do this? But there's no way he's training for long drive. Like he's he's already just training to hit as long of drives as he can. And I think the purpose is to show like or to compare what he's doing to the guys who specifically focus on long drive, which probably isn't too much different from what he's doing the last, I don't know, 12 to 18 months. But the takes of people like, well, he's putting the long drive ahead of the the, the Ryder Cup and he's going to be focusing. He's going to ruin his swing for the Ryder Cup. 
I highly doubt that's what's going to happen. So the timing, it, it bothered me at first, but once I kind of put it into perspective, I don't think it's that big of a deal. Plus, it's not like he's going from Paris to Las Vegas. I mean, he's he's in Wisconsin. I'm not sure where this event is, but it it can't be far from Wisconsin. It's not. It's on the West Coast. He's got that NetJets. He's got that NetJets sponsorship. He'll be fine. Right. It's not like Bryson's taking a Greyhound from Wisconsin. I mean, he's <laughs> taking a private jet. Everything will be fine. It'll be. It'll be. Int- he, he's making an event in a sport that needs a real charge. Like he's making it worthwhile now. He's he's making it interesting for sure. And like, I don't know if I'm going to make an appointment television to watch this long drive competition. But I tell you what, if if it comes on my TV, I'm probably not changing the channel. Well, if Scotty Pearman is in the finals against Bryson DeChambeau, I'll be tuning in because Scotty Hell said, yeah. and you'll you'll hear Scotty say at the end of the interview, if he wins, he's going to come back in the podcast, Nick. So we could have a world long drive champion coming up in a couple of weeks on this. Another this, one. Another one. Exactly. It'd be, our, it'd be our second world champion after Maurice Allen. Okay. Uh, should we get to Scotty? Let's do it. Can't wait. All right, here he is. This is my conversation I had a few days ago with uh, Scotty Perriman. He is as nice as he sounds in this interview, Nick. It's like, it's almost comical how nice this man is. Very, very genuine. He's got a really cool story. He was generous with his time. So without further ado, here's Scotty, and we will talk to you soon with the Ryder Cup preview. I have to start off with this. So... You've hit a golf ball, 464 yards. What's the number one thing you would recommend for the average Joe out there, your, your mid-high handicapper? How do I get more distance, Scotty? Um, well, I mean, it's it's not as hard as you would think. Um, just swing hard. You, you can straighten out someone's swing, but you can't really add but so much distance with technique. So if you don't have the the physical ability to begin with, it's very hard to gain a sizable amount of distance. So I grew up and, and that's how I started. I just, I I was a former baseball player. I played baseball my whole life growing up. So all I knew was swing hard and I just kept swinging hard and eventually I got it straightened out. And here we are today. I think I've heard Jack Nicholas actually say that same thing is you can teach straight, but you can't teach long. That yeah, I mean you can add distance by by perfecting technique and just little things that accumulate to add distance, but um, it will add some, but not as much as it would be if you just started out from the go, just gripping and ripping. So Scotty, we we've, we've spoken to a few long drivers on the show before, and each had a each had a very unique path to getting into this sport. So how did you get into long drive? Well, it was really by chance. Um, a friend of mine about three or four years ago um, that I go to church with asked me to come play on his adult baseball team. Um, and I, I haven't played baseball since high school. I said, man, do you really want me to come? I, You know, <laughs> it's been a while. We just need somebody to come to the last game. It's the championship game, and we just need a body to be able to play. I said, Sure. And it turns out um, the team that I was on, it just so happened that the senior world long drive champion, um, Jeff Crittenton, was on the team. I had no idea who this was, but other players were like, hey, that's the, you, you ever watch long drive on TV? That 
he's the world champion. I'm like, okay, that's cool. Um, ended up kind of becoming friends with him, but I played some shortstop and he played third base and, um, we became friends and I said, Hey, you know, I know you hit balls a long way. I'd like to come hit balls with you sometime. I can hit a, a pretty good way too. And, you know, he probably hears that 10 times, 15 times a day from anybody. So sure. Come on out, you know, and I, I met him at his driving range, which is here in town. Um, at the time he was a partial owner of that. So come out to my driving range and we'll hit some and I'll take a look. So I went to his driving range and I just had my playing driver, which, you know, it was a decent driver, but, you know, um, I met him out of his range. It was about 340 yards to the fence and then about 20 yards past there. Um, there's a major like four or five lane highway. It's very busy, very, very busy. It's one of the main roads here in town. And the first three or four balls, you could hear them tink, tink, tink down the road. And he said, hold on, man, you got to stop, stop. He started yelling at me. I'm like, what, what? He said, you can't hit balls and hit cars while, you know, I own this range. I'm going to get in trouble. So <laughs> I stopped hitting balls. He said, we'll, we'll go somewhere else and, and uh, you know, we'll, we'll go somewhere where we hit further and we'll let you try out some long drive clubs and, and then see what you got. So I met him and sure enough, he said, hey, I think, you know, you might be on to something here. There's just recently an amateur division league called the Amateur Long Drive, and it just started up, and he was affiliated with it as kind of the the spokesperson or the, the face of the league or whatever you want to call it. And he said, you should try the amateur division, and that way, if you don't like it, you're not out of a lot of money, but it, it's very feasible. It's only 50 or 100 bucks a try. Um, if you jump right into pro and you're going to spend a thousand dollars right off the get go, and then you're going to get paired up against the top guys in the world and they're just going to run you into the ground, the first get go, and then you'll never make anything of it. So try the amateur, see how you do. If you like it, we'll grow off that and see how it goes. Well, sure enough, I went, um, in 2019, that was, I went to my first event in April and, um, it was in Bolivia, North Carolina at Carolina National, I think it's called the course. And they had a, a range set up. I had no idea what I was doing. I drove three hours down there with a one club and that I had bought off eBay. I bought a long drive club off eBay and had, you know, had no idea what setup worked. I just knew, hey, it's a long drive club. Let's try this. It's gotta work. So I had no idea if there was gonna be five people or five thousand in I drove up there and there was about ten people in the division and of all walks of life, all skill, you know, some good, some not so good, just like to have fun. Well, um, I ended up winning like just about every event that summer and made it to the world championship um, upon special invite and ended up winning their world championship in 2019 for the amateur division. So that's kind of how I got my feet wet. And that's how I started out in long drive. Wow. So just sort of circumstance leads to you having success almost immediately, it sounds like, Scotty. And then you're getting the special invite to the Amateur World Championship. You win that event. So what happens then? Because I assume that's sometime into 2019, you flip the calendar to 2020 and the whole world turns upside down. So what is that path from winning the championship in 2019 to kind of where we are today? Well, um, it didn't turn out how I would like, of course, a lot of stuff didn't for a lot of people last year. So, 
Um, the plan was after winning the world championship and sitting down with, with Jeff again and my family, you know, we discussed, Hey, is this even a possibility to do? Like, I know you just won. I know I just won the world championship, but can I do this on a professional level? Or am I just going to be wasting my time and donating money for an expensive hobby? And my wife just laid it out and said, Hey, can he do this? I need to know because I'm going to be backing him no matter what he does. And we're all in if you say so. Yeah, I think he can do it. So the plan was to go professional in 2020. And we had signed up for qualifiers because we were got to kind of put in your time when World Long Drive was there. Like you had to like do qualifiers and regionals and stuff to get a foot in the door. So we were going through the process and we'd already paid, prepaid for four or five slots at the local, the, the local qualifier, which was in Columbia, South Carolina. And how much Cody, are those, Scotty? Sorry to interrupt. I was curious. How much, how, how, how much are those to get in the qualifiers? For a qualifier, they do like our sessions and there's like so many slots per hour. So you, in world, back in World Long Drive, you had to like jump on there immediately and buy whatever amount you wanted, like immediately. If you wasn't on there when the, Clock, I mean, we set an alarm and got up at 12 o'clock at night or whatever it was and just to be able to buy the slots. And it's $40 per attempt. Um, so $40 per try. You could try as many times as you wanted to. As long as you pay them, they're going to take your money and you can try. So you you uh, like if you only want to do one attempt and you were that good and you, you might make it, that's all you really need. But if you – if the slots fill up and you get on there and you only bought one time, well then tough luck. You're not going to get another chance. So we bought, we had no idea. Like, you know, I think we bought one for about every hour, uh, four, four chances. I think it was nine, 10, 11, 12 o'clock. And, you know, if I would have qualified at nine o'clock, then I would have wasted all the other money because they're not going to give you your money back. So we paid for all this stuff. And then the pandemic happened in March we were supposed to go in May to Columbia to do this. So World Long Drive completely folded. We didn't know if it was coming back or what, but they ended up refunding our money. Um, I didn't compete as a professional, so I still had my amateur status. Um, so I decided, hey, I'm going to keep competing and get as much grid time as I can and, and, and get a lot of experience under my belt. And when this thing kicks back off, we're going to be ready to go. Unlike some of the other pros who are just sitting around on their hands because they have nothing to do. There was nowhere to hit, nowhere for them to compete. But here I am still hitting balls and learning and learning as much as I could. I did about three or four events just to, to stay sharp in 2020. And then I went back to their world championship in 2020 and I won their championship again. So to only two time champion for amateur long drive there is. And there you go. That's, that's year two. So it's all kind of like snowballing and it, it was just everything was happening so fast and, and it was a it was a real fun fun ride for sure. It almost sounds like and I don't want to put words in your mouth, Scotty, that in sort of looking at it from, you know, where's the silver lining, someone like you who starts at the amateur level, did all this sort of happening give you more of an opportunity in a way to have an entry into sort of that top upper echelon where I mean, you're probably going to have a chance to compete with the pros now at a more rapid rate than you would have otherwise. Is that fair to say? That's exactly 100% correct. That was going to be the next thing that I was going to talk about. 
it was actually a, there, the silver lining in all this was um, if you don't know much about long drive world long drive back in the day, it was kind of an exclusive club and it was very hard to get into. You would have to win your way in and win a lot of regionals, a lot of qualifiers. And if you didn't have a foot in the door, there was no way in to get into the big tour events. So when COVID happened, um, the PLDA started out, which was the professional long drivers association. And that's uh, Bobby Peterson, who is just so happens to be now my coach and from Newton Grove, North Carolina started it as a way to kind of get professional hitters up tournaments to hit in until whatever happened with world long drive popped back up. And it just so happens it didn't. So this PLDA has, has really steamrolled in and that's where all the top hitters are hitting. Um, they, they provide opportunities for guys like me, the new guys who wouldn't have had a chance more or less in world long drive to get in. So now we are up there competing against the best of the best, of the best of the world. Um, so, you, you know, as long as you, the good thing about PLDA is you pay your money, you can hit up against the best guys in the world. And that's, it's a real blessing. I shouldn't say a blessing that COVID happened, but I wouldn't have be, I wouldn't be where I'm at today if all this wouldn't have happened because I would have been two years behind trying to get through world long drive. So what are your prospects right now, Scotty, with the world championships coming up later this month? What are your prospects in that competition? Do you have an opportunity to hit there? Uh, yes. Uh, I, I won a regional qualifier in uh, Mesquite, Nevada, which is the actually the grid that we're going to be competing on the world championship. So I won a regional and I have a paid berth into the world championship uh, in the field of 64. Um. At, in Mesquite. I mean, it's going to be awesome. It's going to be the place to be. Um, this is my first full professional year. Right now, I'm currently ranked third in the points overall. I'm behind uh, Kyle Berkshire, the number one player in the world, basically, the last world champion and last year's national champion. And that then is the dude with the long, world... beautiful hair for our listeners. That is, in fact, yeah, him. He's got the flow. So, um, I'm behind him and another former world champion in 2017, Justin James. So um, I'm in pretty elite company right now, and um, I'm pretty happy with the way things have gone. I'm just, uh, you know, I'm learning every day. I'm taking as much in as I can, and I'm just trying to get better each and every day. So, Scotty, I'm dying to know, as, as someone who is one of the top guys right now in this sport, what do you think about Bryson competing in the world championships? It's, it's awesome. I cannot wait. This, it's, I had a chance to um, do a simulated event with him about two or three weeks ago, right before the FedEx Cup started, the FedEx playoffs. He came to North Carolina, and we did a simulated long drive tournament to kind of get his feet wet. And I'm telling you, he is really good. Um, he's going to surprise people. You know, he – to tour people, you know, the tour players and stuff, he hits it a long way. He still hits it a long way with us long drivers. So it's it's going to be a blast. It's going to bring new eyes to the, our sport, which is really good, and, and it couldn't come at a better time with, uh, you know, the COVID and the world long drive pulling out and the Golf Channel pulling their sponsorships and everything. So this is what the sport needs, and what better guy to do it? I mean, couldn't ask for a better guy. Um 
he was so cool, so down to earth. He was just like one of us, like just hanging out and, and hitting balls and trying to hit them as far as we could. So it was a blast. I had a blast. Do you think he has actually has a chance to win this thing, Scotty? It, it would take a lot of breaks. I mean, and that goes for anybody. Uh, winning a tournament of this size, you got to have the right matchups, the la- the, the right bracket. Um, you know, you got to almost have to avoid going up head to head against some of the top guys. You got to hope that you don't, you know, of course you want to beat the best to be the best, but you know, you got to have some breaks every now and then. So with the point system, the way it is, he's definitely as, as consistent as he hits the ball in the center of the face. It's going to make up for the lack. I shouldn't say lack of speed, but he compared to a long driver, he doesn't have the same, not yet. So with his ball striking and the point system, he could definitely make a run for sure. I have no doubt. So it sounds like you're saying the consistency that he has being used to having to hit a very narrow fairway as opposed to this grid could advance him in this and maybe he catches a few breaks and gets lightning in a bottle and who knows what can happen at that point. Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, he knows how to flight balls. He can change club paths and um, it's, it's more than just going up there and trying to bash a ball with him. And just like he is with golf, with all the, the, the physics and the angles and everything else, he, got, he does the same thing with long drive. He has a hunger for the knowledge and can fly a ball just as good as anybody I know. So, and not to mention, he has the pressure under control. I mean, obviously, he's won the U.S. Open. I mean, it doesn't get any more pressure than that. So, um, the only thing that might play a factor – um, is his endurance. Um, it's a marathon of sprints for long drive. I mean, it's more than it's 60, zero to 60 as fast as you can go. And then you got to do that 20 more times today or whatever. So, you know, he's used to hitting, um, a drive and then walking up and hitting a wedge and going to putt and then, 20 minutes later, maybe hitting another drive if there's another par four or five after that. So um, it's not like he's getting up and bashing balls. So it's just a little different mind and and gearing of, of stuff that you got to be ready to do that may or may not give him trouble. People are pretty tough on Bryson. What's what's as someone who's met him and obviously respects him from the words that you're saying right now. Uh, what do you think the biggest misperception is about Bryson based on what you see in like media coverage about him? I think um, that he is misinterpreted in the fact that he wants the best for the sport and wants to change the game. And there's never been anything like him. Um, you know, Tiger Woods changed the game, of course, but he is with the distance thing. It's, I mean, he definitely hits it further than Tiger in his prime. So um, he's changing the way people think. And it's just he's so unique that, you know, when something is so new, of course there's always going to be some some people against that or just they're not as – I wouldn't say educated on it. That's probably the wrong word. But, like, it's just so new it's kind of scary and it's not the norm. So I think he's just misinterpreted in some ways. Um, he has a hunger for, for knowledge and 
and you can definitely tell that even just watching him play golf. But um, his ability to to move it on command like that, I've never I've never seen that. It was really fun to watch. So, Scotty, I see you with the hat. I see you with the purple. Part of your mission is raising awareness for premature babies. Can you explain why this particular cause is so important to you? Oh, yeah, I'd love to. Um, anybody that knows me knows that my son um, was born premature. He was born um, 24 weeks into the pregnancy, which is a normal pregnancy is uh, nine months, 40 weeks. So he was born at 24, um, which is a little little more than three months early. So it's pretty scary. Um, anybody that has been through that knows knows how scary that is. His, his odds of survival was very small. Um, and, and not to mention the surgeries that he went through because of that. So, um, to put it in perspective, he was one pound, nine ounces when he was born. Um, we spent 105 days in the NICU, um, two to three surgeries, uh, three surgeries. Um, we went through a, a lot with him and, there were times where it was it was very dim. Like we we didn't know if he would make it through the night, and we were literally on pins and needles. And even after the surgeries, you're like, oh, man, the surgery went well. And you know, we we said something to the surgeon and said, "We're good, right?" Well, you, in 48 hours, we'll know. And we're like, well, the surgery went well, but we still don't know. So, um, whenever I started doing long drive, um. I told my wife I'd like to do it in his honor and I've seen miracles happen with him and I want to do it because I, I, I want to be strong for him. I, I know there's no, really no relation to golf and premature babies, but it was the talent that I was given and I wanted to try to use it for that. And uh, about two days after he was born, his name is Xander with an X, by the way. And a couple days after he was born, our friends from church said we Googled his name and come to find out it means warrior. Did you know that when you named him? I said, no, but how appropriate for that. So um, when I when I decided to go to my first event down the beach, when I was telling you about that earlier, I said, I'm going to wear purple, purple for preemies, every practice, every event, in honor of him. And that way, if somebody says, why purple or whatever, it's going to be a conversation starter. So about a week before I went down there, I went to the local lids here in the mall and I had this logo created. I had a vision and it's a warrior arrow and I made it purple, purple for preemies. And I made a hat and wore it down there to my first event that I won. And ever since then, it's just a conversation starter and a chance for me to to share um, a little bit about the miracles that's happened in our life and the blessings that we have. That's very cool, Scotty. Hey, if, if people want to help donate or help to the cause, what should they do? Well, um, out of every bit of money that we raise doing long drive, we donate a portion back to the Family Support Network of North Carolina. It's a nonprofit organization here that's affiliated with the hospital who walks beside families going through the same stuff that we did. Um, they still, until this day, are in contact with us, with our son and his needs and 
they kind of like when you're in that NICU and everything's going haywire and you don't know which way is up, they're the ones grabbing you by the hand and leading you in the direction where you need to know. Um, they're, I mean, they're real life angels. So um, we try to donate back to them because we want to help people who's, who's going through the same things we went through. Um, it, it, I just can't say enough about the good people that work there. I mean, they, uh, they have a page to donate for their NICU programs on their website with the Family Support Network of North Carolina. So that's who we donate to. Well, Scotty, I'm sure you have a lot of new fans, everyone listening to this conversation. You seem like a great dude. I wish you nothing but success and best of luck in the world championships against uh, Kyle and Bryson and everyone else out there. Well, thank you so much for having me on. I look forward to it. Um, Maybe I can come back on after and do a recap of how everything goes and uh, tell you a a little bit about the experience. When you bring home the title, we'd love to have you back on, Scotty. Win. That's the best word you use in this. Win. I like it. There he is, Scotty Pierman. Thanks again, Scotty. Yes, thank you for having me. I'm Lacey Evans. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time at The Turn. Mm -hmm.